Welcome to the Prison Mindfulness Podcast, presented by the Prison Mindfulness Institute. In this podcast, we'll be talking with experts in the fields of prison mindfulness and prison dharma, discussing their transformative work in prisons and jails. Welcome. I'm Vita Perez, the Executive Director of Prison Mindfulness Institute. I'm very happy today to be here with Bill Brown, the Executive Director of the Prison Yoga Project. It's an organization that seeks to create a cultural shift toward a healing-centered approach to addressing crime, addiction, mental illness through trauma-informed yoga and mindfulness. Bill began working with PYP in 2013 and has served in federal, state, and county facilities. In 2016, he began offering training with PYP in trauma-informed yoga for incarcerated people and assumed the executive director's role in 2018. He's also a contributing editor to the Yoga Service Council's Omega Institute book called Best Practices for Yoga in the Criminal Justice System. Welcome, Bill. Yeah, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So you've been teaching this yoga in prisons for a very long time. So maybe you could just begin with share a little bit about what drew you into working in prisons and, you know, about your work in general. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, it's interesting because it wasn't something that I initially sought out. Um, I came to yoga practice late in life. I was in my 40s when I first began practicing yoga. And I'd always had an interest in Eastern religions and in Buddhism in particular, um, Tibetan Buddhism. Um, I grew up in in Denver and uh, a friend and I would go up to the Karmazon, uh, uh, Jim Trungpa's uh, meditation uh, uh Fortress of Karmic Action in uh, Boulder. And so uh, that was my first introduction, but I was never able to sit still long enough to develop a, a decent meditation practice. And then, you know, later in life, I uh, relented to some friends that were begging me to come to yoga class. And I finally uh, gave in and I went to my first yoga class. And in it, I uh, got into a pose called Pigeon, which if you're familiar with yoga, uh, it can be pretty intense. You've got one leg tucked up under and you get a very uh, deep stretch in the, in the hip. Get into Pigeon and I start to cry. And I really didn't know why I didn't understand what was happening. Uh, same thing happened again when I got into Savasana. Um, and I described that as feeling, you know, just this overwhelming sense of relief at, at being at home in my body, really for the first time in my life. Um, and I was immediately hooked into yoga and I started going, you know, two, three, four, up to eight times a week. And uh, the studio I was going to offer a yoga teacher training. I signed up for that, not because I wanted to teach yoga, but I just wanted to understand what this transformation that was happening for me was um i'd always had anger management problems really severe anger management problems and that was abating as all these emotions were releasing from my body through the practice um in that yoga teacher training james fox the founder of pyp came and gave a little afternoon workshop and uh he introduced the idea of yoga as therapy uh, to me for the first time. And so uh, when he came back to the studio to do a weekend training, I signed up for that. Within six months, I was going into Donovan State Prison here in San Diego, uh, offering yoga uh, to the folks incarcerated there. Um, what I have discovered since is a real strong affinity for the people that I meet. 
in prison and jail, uh, you know, as people who are generally impacted by some sort of severe developmental trauma uh, and whose lives uh, were altered based on, you know, a momentary poor choice, you know, and generally not something that they were done in a thoughtful way. You know, when we feel threatened, our bodies just act. And that was my experience uh, with my anger and the rage uh, that I would feel. And so I felt uh, a connection there. And also just a recognition of the ways in which our society is really just failing to care for people who, um, you know, have experienced that kind of trauma that that leads to uh, crime or, you know, addiction. Uh, of course, mental illness is not really treated uh, if you don't have access to private health care. Um, and so, uh, you know, the three largest providers of, of uh, uh, mental health care, the Cook County Jail in Chicago, Rikers Island in New York, and the Twin Towers in Los Angeles. Um, so if you're poor, uh, you get, uh, your mental health care by going to jail. And so, you know, these are the things that I was seeing about the system that really drew me into, uh, into this work. And, you know, I, I was working as a software developer before and little by little, uh, just earning a living wasn't going to do it for me, uh, when there was something that I could dedicate my life to that had purpose and meaning. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's how I got started in this work. Uh, almost, um, I don't know, not by accident, but uh, not intentionally. But what the ways that it has changed me have been really profound, um, and I would say changed for the better for the most part. Wow, great, thank you. Yeah, inspiring. So when you talk about yoga. Do you mm -hmm. teach yoga just from an asana base, or do you include the whole yogic philosophy? You know. Oh well, yeah, absolutely. You know, the whole yoga philosophy. You know, yoga is probably one of the most misunderstood words. Um, you know, and everybody when they um, encounter, uh, you know, yoga, it's they think of that asana practice, and maybe they think of the breath practice. And I don't want to say that those aspects of it aren't important because they do help you uh, reshape your uh, nervous system and restructure, uh, you know, the balance between, uh, you know, the amygdala, that threat detector that, you know, communicates with our body to like trigger a, a, a visual reaction when we feel unsafe. Uh, and then the part of the brain, the mid prefrontal cortex that, you know, allows us to to notice what's happening in our environment and in our in our uh, uh, bodies and and make a reasoned decision and maybe suppress an impulse. So there's real value in that work, um, you know, especially when you take that asana practice to be uh, more of a dialogue that you're having with your body listening to what's happening in your body and then working with the poses or the breath work in order to induce a particular uh, nervous system uh, reaction, either increase energy, you know, invoke a stress response or release a stress response. But, and I think that this is sort of foundational because when we're in a state of, of fear, a state of unsafety, which if you've got trauma that's stored in the body, 
the body is communicating that you are unsafe to the brain as well. And so um, it's very difficult to do the type of work um, that I think, you know, when when we start to look at yoga as this way of peeling back the layers of how we've been socialized or domesticated, um, you know, and, and the beliefs that we've uh, picked up about reality that uh, create ignorance um, so that we're not seeing clearly. Um, you know, if you're in that state of unsafety, it's difficult to do that that second process. Um, but, um, you know, and, and oftentimes in our programs, we don't really push that second process so much. The way that we facilitate our yoga programs, and especially given that we're working inside prisons and jails where people are told what to do with their bodies constantly, what we're there to do is, you know, offer an opportunity to participate in an experience and through the recognition of what they're uh, feeling and noticing within themselves, that becomes the, the teacher. And I feel like as we start to uh, manage those feelings of unsafety and start to let go of that fear-based reactivity, that we're just naturally the parts of our mind that are, are more uh, concerned with uh, cooperation and empathy and compassion, they just start to emerge. When we feel safe and when we uh, feel at ease and uh, awake and aware of what's happening in our surroundings, our natural impulse is to connect and to draw together and to support one another. And so if we create the conditions for that to happen, it just kind of naturally uh, flows in that direction. Um, so again, just not something, not something that we feel we need to push. Um, it just seems to emerge as we, as we do the other work. So the path quality just kind of emerges through the process. Mm -hmm. that, you notice that prisoners take to it as a path that they're going to get on and rather than yeah i mean it is remarkable the you know in a lot of ways like so the punitive incarceration and the environment is like almost the exact opposite of what yoga and mindfulness have to offer um you know it is an environment that absolutely creates a sense of unsafety um, and uh, there's a, a cruel irony in that, um, you know, for folks that are going up against a, a parole board, the parole board wants to hear, you know, are you, you take responsibility for what you've done? Do you have remorse? Do you understand why it is you did what you did? In other words, do you understand the trauma that you experienced and have you rehabilitated yourself? And uh, I say that it's a cruel irony, almost sadistic, because the conditions for that rehabilitation and the conditions for accepting responsibility are, are uh, uh, you know, the punitive incarceration system and the environment that it creates are the least conducive to that, that, uh, that path. And so when you introduce uh, these practices, um, you know, it's like the antidote to that environment and it becomes a uh something that that for the people that that go that direction yeah it becomes a lifestyle and 
you know, when people will ask, like, do you, you know, do, do guys really want to do yoga? Do, you know, because there's this image of, you know, hard prisoners. And my experience is just exactly, you know, the opposite. I see more kindness and compassion between the men that are in our programs than I do in everyday life, oftentimes. And we've got, um, uh, you know, I've got two different classes that I offer at Donovan State Prison and uh, 25 spots in each class. And I've got 75 people on the wait list. Um, yeah. So, you know, we need to scale up and I'm on two out of five yards. So we need to scale up from two practices a week to 20 practices a week just to meet that kind of demand. Uh, it's almost a, a necessity to do something to manage your stress uh, in that environment. Especially if you're somebody that's coming in with trauma, because it's just compounding that it's layering trauma on top of trauma, that environment. Yeah. So are most of the people who, like you said, you have a waiting list of 75. Are most of the people that come to your class uh, doing it voluntarily or have some? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We wouldn't. Well, there are situations where. um, uh, Do you offer good time for your classes? What's that? Do you offer good time? Do they, does the facility offer good time? So a lot of times we'll get prisoners that come only for the good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, good complex set of, or not complex, but interrelating questions there. Um, Voluntary. Um, We stress the importance that programs be voluntary because they are, uh, you know, you can't force somebody to practice in a way that is going to be beneficial to them. Um, and so there are situations where we have incentive-based housing units in jails, and uh, they will require that everybody who's in that IHB uh, uh, participate in the programs that are offered as a condition of being in that environment. So when they come into the room, the first thing we tell them is that uh, I understand that you are required to be here. Beyond that, there's no requirement from me if you choose to lay on your mat or sit um, uh, for the entirety of practice, that's fine. That's your choice. I would love for you to give this a try um, and then make your decision based on what you notice about how you feel after trying out this practice. But I'm not going to require you to practice. And, you know, this also requires educating the facility uh, that, look, this is how this is how it is. And so the officers don't go get up, show some respect and do the practice. You know, he comes here and gives his time because that happens. But, uh, you know, and, and we've had people who will come and they'll lay on the mat for six months. And then one day, all of a sudden, middle of practice, they get up and they start practicing. And it's just like that was their moment. That was they needed to ease into it in that way. Um, so, so yeah, you cannot force this on anybody. It's just going to backfire. They're just going to resist it if they feel like you're making them do something that they don't want to do. Um, and then, um, you know, the, uh, in certain places we do have, um, like in California, CDCR, they offer rehabilitative achievement credits. So folks earn time off their sentence for participating in RAC approved programs and our programs are RAC approved. Um, I do believe that it may draw in a few people who are only there for the credit. Um, But I also have a 
number of people who show up for practice, even though they're not on the roster. And in certain facilities, um, the uh, custody officers are okay with people not on the roster being in the room practicing. And so I, if there's an open mat, yeah, stay for practice. And so, um, you know, and, and while I do enjoy that people are and believe that they deserve credit time off their sentence for programming, um, you know, a reward is the other end of the stick. You know, the carrot is the other end of the stick. And punitive justice is about, you know, uh, the stick. And so those carrots are just another form of punitive justice. There has to be an intrinsic motivation um, that's present for people to really get the benefit out of following this path. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, great, great questions. <laughs> yes. Because in our, you know, we teach mindfulness based emotional intelligence and mindfulness practices, et cetera, and mm-hmm. not, you know, just a little bit of yoga movement in it. But, you know, the, in the classes that we have in certain states, all the programs are all based on that cookie thing. We're giving you the time off. Yeah. They don't have classes that are, you know, volunteer per se. They only want to get put you into the life skills section if you're going to give, offer this, you know, incentive. Yeah. So I, yeah, I I do the same thing. I do the same approach. You know, you don't have to meditate. You're welcome to sit here and pray or just be silent and enjoy the silence. And because they do like that to come to a place, (laughs) nap if you want to, that's fine. They all need sleep. And so it's sometimes you're right. It does take one person. I remember took three years. Yeah. On the third year, she was all in. Just one hundred percent in. She was like, "Okay, I get it. This is really, you know." But it took a long time. Yeah, and we do yeah. a lot of classes, so yeah. Well, and you know, people people do their thing. You know, the 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 whatever we're doing, we're doing out of a sense of self preservation, and maybe it's not a really well adapted coping skill, but it's what we relied on for our survival. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to just take that away from somebody. And I think you know that gradual approach of this is here for you. Um, you know, and, and that eventually, uh, yeah, somebody's going to be just be naturally drawn into it because it will seem like a superior coping skill to what they might have been doing before. Yeah, three years. Yeah. Three good. And the first year she thanks was for hanging in there. Doing this. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> like a lot of resistance. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but then again, you know, so what, so this, so then, you know, here's, here's, you know, I think about the type of interpersonal trauma people have, have experienced and you see this tattoo, you know, um, I I do this, trust nobody, you know, from, this is like such a common thing where people and the world have let, let them down so much. Why should I trust you? But then how, how do you get past that? You show up every week. Every week. years and you're open and you don't try and force something on somebody or tell them they need to be a different way. And that's where I think, you know, and this is something that I think is underappreciated in this work, um, that the mindfulness is important. The yoga is important. There are real genuine benefits to that, but that's not going to take if the relationship 
isn't there. You know, if you're coming in in a way that's inauthentic, or if you're coming in with an agenda, an attachment to the outcome, then uh, that is going to get in the way of uh, a, an authentic, trusting relationship developing. Because, um, you know, like, um, what does uh, Josephine, one of our advisors in Sweden, she calls uh, folks that are incarcerated um, extra extra perceivers. I love her her uh, English, or Swedish to English translation of this idea. Uh, Hyper vigilant, um, you know, a, a, a wall up, um, and you don't tear that wall down. You know, the person who put it up needs to be the one to take it down. Um, and getting that relationship right. And just the same too, you know, when we're, we do the practices and I had an opportunity um, after, uh, what was it, Saturday before last, um, we wound up just being able to sit in the room for two hours after we'd done a practice. And about a third of the guys stayed behind and we just sat in a circle and, and shared and got deep. And um, one of the guys said to me, he said, you know, I think, you know, the most valuable part of this is the time that we get to spend together after class because the practice gets us into a space where we're able to feel comfortable sharing in a vulnerable way. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's, that's it. It's this community and sense of togetherness and mutual support and able to be vulnerable. That, that really is the healing that's happening. Um, yeah. Have you, I mean, I, I taught in juvie for years. Mm. And uh, so, you know, I'm a kundalini yoga teacher. So I mm. um, actually tried to bring in, you know, basic yoga, you know, tech, you know, sun salutations. Yeah. These guys were there, um, were so contracted, you know, they, they were so contracted, they had no flexibility. And they were kind of, um, you know, embarrassed about the, the fact that I'm like 60 years older than them and I could bend over and they can't, you know, that kind of thing. So I said, give them the fast Kundalini moves. That would kind of, they'd all laugh at that. And then, then you're right. It kind of breaks down the, the, you know, then it just, we just had a big laugh about the whole thing. And then they really enjoyed it, you know, and it's not about like trying to be flexible or do um, yoga moves or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and the humor, you know, that emerges, I, I, I feel this, uh, um, and I do try and bring a lot of, I joke a lot in, in when I'm facilitating my, my classes, my practices, um, you know, because I think that laughter is so connecting. Um, and, and yeah, and this is another reason why, you know, it's like, you know, if the goal is to get more flexible or the goal is to be able to do this pose in some sort of optimal way, then this is going to wind up leaving a lot of people out, um, you know, and the, I mean, the too old, too, you know, stiff and male, you know, is uh, an excuse, right? And And really what we're, you know, if we shift the focus of the practice to be on recognizing uh, particularly when we're in a stress, a, a stressed state, and then applying some simple tools in order to shift our nervous system in a different direction, then it doesn't matter what kind of body you're in. Um, you know, you're able to practice that if it becomes about the mindful awareness of, uh, you know, of, of how we're, you know, whether we're in a, a sympathetic nervous system or parasympathetic nervous system activation, then, uh, 
then it becomes more accessible to to everybody. And and this is something that, you know, like this practice that I have on Saturdays, I've got folks that come in in walkers and I've got guys that can freehand stand in the middle of the room uh, with no problem. And uh, so somehow, you know, I'm going to facilitate a practice that is going to be accessible for both of them. It may not be as physically demanding as what some people could do. Um, but um, they have plenty of time to practice in a more physically demanding way or to work out. Um, and so, yeah, shifting the balance towards the mindfulness is is uh, absolutely, uh, you know, makes it more accessible for everybody. Um, and youth, hats off to you, because, uh, you know, you're dealing with a, a, a mind that's still developing and that is programmed to push against authority um, in order to form peer groups. And so you're going into a space where, um, yeah, we're biologically programmed to resist. <laughs> and yeah. Well, I mean, I just kind of gave, you're, you're right. I gave up the agenda. It just showed up. And then mm -hmm. they enjoyed it. You know, we did all kinds of things. We listened to music. We yeah. played games. We talked. We did circles. We drummed on the table. You yeah. know, yoga moves. We did listen to some tapes of meditation. They liked some. They didn't like some. You know. Yeah. They yeah. were very open about what they liked and what they didn't like. You know. So. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Do you ever work in jails? Because, you know, like dur during COVID, we have been working on through Zoom and a few jail systems. And it's... Yeah. um. Uh, jail, you know, is constant changing population. You can't really get a foothold with the same group being on yeah. I mean, week after week. You maybe only have one chance to see somebody and give them something that could be useful for them. Do you ever? You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. And and stretching with <laughs> so in California, you know, they did this prison alignment because the prisons were so overcrowded that they moved people who had nonviolent offenses into local jails. Mm -hmm. So the average stay went from 90 days to over a year. And of course, jails are not physically configured to hold people for that long. Um, you don't have access to outdoor spaces. You don't have uh, room to move around. So in some ways, this was really harmful for the folks that are serving longer sentences in jails. So here in California, we may have people for, I mean, there's a there's a woman at Las Colinas, the women's jail here in San Diego County, who is doing more than 14 years. And it's, I mean, it's so different all over the whole whole united states and around the world um but um you know typically yeah so we we have a practice in uh san diego central jail and i um one week went in there and it was a very odd week um uh, because only two guys showed up and um i remember them so well one gentleman was over six feet tall and just thin as a rail and then the other guy couldn't have been you know maybe five foot three and just round um and um i thought they were just the strangest pair and the one i asked them i said what made you want to come to yoga and they said, well, I've been looking forward to this since last week or since Wednesday. And I said, well, you, you've never done yoga before. Like how, what, what happened on Wednesday? 
oh, well, we were in our computer class and uh, uh, everybody was kind of out of sorts. And so one of the fellows said, you know, why don't we do some of that yoga and see if we can, you know, get into the groove. And so they brought yoga into their computer class as a way of preparing themselves for the computer class. And I thought that's brilliant. And so whatever it was that they had done for this one guy, the taller guy had worked and he wanted to come to yoga class ever since. And so he had his friend whose health he was concerned with and said, come to the yoga class with me. So they, we get done to the end of practice. And I asked, uh, you know, how was that? And um, the taller guy said, well, you know, great. Um, you could, I mean, just his energy was completely different, you know, after that one practice. And uh, he told me that, you know, he was a homeless man. And um, he said that he would wake up in the morning and he just walks and he walks all day long until he gets so exhausted that he, you know, can sleep. And so this is how, you know, he's severe anxiety. Um, and this is how he copes with it. And I, and, and I said, well, what do you do in here? And he said, well, when we can get out of ourselves, then I just do a circuit around the uh, day room. And, and, um, and so he paces laps around the day room. And I said, well, what happens if you're locked down? And he said, well, when we're on lockdown, I just sit in my cell and I shake. And I said, well, what are you going to do now if you're on lockdown? And he said, he starts doing sun salutations, just a standing sun salutation. And I thought, great. And I left that day and I was coming back the next week and really looking forward to seeing these two guys again. And I came into the room and they're gone. They're not there. And this is the way it is oftentimes with jail, that you might have somebody who comes in once. But already he had felt a shift for him and had picked up a tool that was going to be useful and helpful for him in a situation. So I thought I felt satisfied with that. Then it was about six months or so afterwards, I was subbing in another one of our programs and I come into the room and uh, I'm standing there. I got my mat set up. I'm greeting people as they come in. And this guy walks up and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he just looks me in the eyes. And it took me a second and I thought, oh my God, it's you. And he smiles and he nods and he's like, yep, it's me. And I said, you're like a whole different person. And he says, yeah, I'm a changed man. He says, I practice yoga every single day. This has saved my life. And I wish that I really could capture, you know, the degree to which he's changed. Like, uh, you know, I mean, maybe just having a bed over a bed and a head of a roof over his head and food was a part of it. My God, he was so centered in his body and so present to me. And just like, I wish, I mean, I really wish I could follow up with him and see where this all went, you know, in the intervening years since I've seen him. But, you know, I mean, just like for me, 
you know, it's the same thing for me, that one practice that I get into and I have this release, the, the, the pigeon on the right side laying on my back in Savasana and feeling at peace, that's not tied to nothing. I mean, I grew up in a home where anger was a daily thing, you know, with my father and, um, uh, but I had a medical uh, trauma when I was four years old. I broke my femur. And in the course of setting my femur, they have to pull the leg in traction, right? Because the muscles of the quadriceps and the, the hamstrings are so strong, they have to pull the leg apart to get the bone to set and hold it there. Well, they had wrapped the bandages too tight around my heels and they started, it caused gangrene. And so I lost a part of my foot. And, and for four days, you know, I'm four years old, heavy cast on myself, um, trying to relieve the pressure that's on my foot. And so I'm lying in a hospital bed and I'm lifting up my hip to try and relieve the pressure. Meanwhile, um, a part of myself is literally dying and nobody is coming to help me nobody's coming to help me. And in that state of, you know, exhaustion um, and holding, but failing to really help myself, I developed this mantra that God doesn't love me. And this is sort of the loop that had been playing in the background in my mind for my whole life. And when I got into yoga and I started that practice and that trauma held very acutely for me, um, I think for most people, it's held more generally in their body, or maybe it's that crouching, you know, if you're trying to protect yourself, uh, or if there's another physical position that you might have been in when you experienced trauma. Um, when that started to release, the, 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 my nervous system started to shift and change. And it was that first yoga practice that I get into that I felt something so profoundly different for myself than I was used to because of the experience of living in this body that was carrying trauma that, that it hooked me in, you know, but I had the resources. I had access to a yoga studio and I had the money to sign up for an unlimited yoga package at an expensive yoga studio. And when the teacher training came around, I had the money to sign up for the teacher training. And, uh, you know, when came to yoga therapy, uh, I had the money to do my yoga therapy program. And most people don't, I don't have, I could not pay for a yoga teacher training at this point in my life. Um, I don't have the financial resources for that. And this really scholarships for people who got so this is so this is our policy. We offer tiered pricing on all of our training programs. Um, if you uh, there's a community rate, which is generally below market for other trainings. Um, and then we have a supporter and a benefactor rate, uh, that are suggested, um, where uh, you get the same access as everybody, everybody gets the same access. But if you can afford to pay more, we give a receipt for tax deduction of the additional amount paid. And then uh, if you request a scholarship for our foundational training, we immediately send people a link to register for $100 off. And the an, an explanation that if this is more than you can comfortably afford, just write back to us and let us know what you can afford. And we're going to send you a link to register at that cost because nobody, nobody is turned away. And we do the same thing with our yoga teacher training, which is, you know, much more expensive for us to run, 
but um, uh, uh, 50% of the people receive scholarships and the average scholarship is about 50%. And so we have people who are paying, you know, almost nothing. And it's amazing. It's, it is blowing my mind. You know, yoga is a really, um, uh, yoga teachers. Well, one yoga Alliance and their standards are, are, they don't really recognize the, the impact that it has on the nervous system. And so in your anatomy requirements, there's nothing to talk about the nervous system. Um, uh, so in our yoga teacher training, uh, we, we fix that. And then, uh, uh, you know, there, the assumption is that you would be offering this inside a studio. And so with our yoga teacher training, it's specifically geared towards offering it in non-studio settings, whether that be prison or jail, a hospital, a school, a homeless shelter. Um, yeah, so people offering in post-release facilities. Yeah, yeah, transitional facilities. So there's a woman who had done our, been through our first cohort. Her name is Celeste, and she's an older black woman. Um, uh, you know, somebody that uh, we uh, gave a significant scholarship to. She is now going into her community in Alabama and offering in recovery centers, and then also at a community center. And I just got an email or a scholarship request uh, from a young 21 year old uh, black man. Uh, who had been to her community center class and is like, I, you know, I want to, I want to practice yoga or I want to learn to be a yoga teacher. And so, you know, I just am so happy to know that what we're doing is um, changing the face of the community of people who practice and teach yoga. And uh, and I can't wait to see what, you know, impact this is going to have over the next 10 years, um, because it's so necessary, like in our world to spread this type of work, um, you know. Yeah, we're facing challenges now that do not require a physical response, but our bodies evolved to uh respond to stress with a physical response and most of the responses that we need today are empathy or an intellectual or reasoned intellectual response and if we're just you know surrendering to our amygdala um you know then we're we're doomed as a species we have to cultivate uh, a different way of being in the world. And, and it is, uh, you know, a conscious choice to engage, you know, in these uh, practices that help us to manage that habitual or instinctual response and respond more appropriately to reality as it is. Um, yeah. So um, we're about at time, but I want to ask you one yeah. question. What sure. advice would you give to people who aspire to want to teach in prisons? What, would, what advice would you give them? Yeah, just really understand that this is very serious work and that the people that you are going to meet have have experienced a significant amount of, of trauma and grief. and um, And so... 
be prepared for what that is like. Um, and the best way that you can prepare yourself for that is to focus on your own practice and make sure that you are ready and in a place where you can hold space. Um, you know, we don't, you know, it's it, some people will refer to it. And I think you mentioned lifestyle skills, like I'm going to teach you something about managing your stress. Um, if I, uh, the, that's not how it works. I walk into a room. And people start to either feel more at ease or more uncomfortable based on my presence. And this goes for every space that we walk into. So are you able to walk into a room in a way that immediately helps people to co-regulate, to start to regulate based on your groundedness and your centeredness? So doing your own work, I think, is absolutely essential. And then going in with your eyes wide open and, um, uh, you know, understanding the paths that have led people, you know, acknowledging, you know, uh, biases and uh, structural, uh, you know, things like structural racism and poverty and how all of that contributes to incarceration and your own positionality within it and 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 understanding all of that. But then letting it go and showing up in a very authentic way so that you're not trying to be something that you're not in this situation. Um, because ultimately, I think if you are uh, somebody who is motivated by compassion and showing up in an authentic way, it doesn't matter who you are um, in terms of your social, political, economic identity. People are going to respond to your humanity more than they're responding to anything else. Uh, at least that's been my experience. So, yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. Thank you. Very inspiring to meet you. And I really applaud your work and hope that it flourishes from many eons to come. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It's, uh, we're, we're experiencing a period of rapid growth actually. Yeah. Uh, and it's good to see from a social standpoint and, and what it means about, um, uh, you know, really recognizing that, uh, that if that, you know, care is superior to punishment, if we really want to change, uh, uh, our society. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about PMI and our programs, please visit prisonmindfulness.org. You can also keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.